0: The word of the Lord from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want justice. That's the widow's cry. She keeps coming to the judge, demanding, Give me justice against my adversary. I suppose we need to define what we mean by justice these days thanks to all the categories like social justice, environmental justice, and the like. Justice is not about one group of people setting a standard and saying that others are unjust if they don't agree. When Scripture speaks of justice, it is God who sets the standard. Justice is when the righteous are pardoned and the unrighteous gets what's coming to them. When churches start preaching man's versions of justice instead of God's holy law— They quickly stop proclaiming the gospel of the righteous Christ, who dies to justify the unrighteous. At any rate, this is quite a matchup, this widow and the judge. The judge neither fears God nor respects men, says Jesus, which leaves him loving himself most of all. He's not going to be interested so much in the rights of the downtrodden as he is in his own self-promotion and comfort. When it comes to the downtrodden, enter the widow. Widows go largely unnoticed, neglected, especially if they have no family. When it comes to power in this showdown, the judge has all, and the widow has none. But this woman has two things going for her, one, the justice of her cause. She is the innocent party. I mean, after all, the guilty don't usually go pounding on the judge's door again and again, demanding that he give their case some extra scrutiny. When this widow goes to the judge, she knows she's right and deserves vindication. And that explains her persistence, why she keeps coming back. And that persistence, that's her other advantage. She won't stop. She won't give the unrighteous judge a moment's peace. I'm innocent, I'm wronged, I want justice, and I'm going to keep this up until you do your job, until you declare me innocent and deliver me from my adversary. She's playing a weak hand. All she can do is keep bothering a man who doesn't want to be bothered. But she's going to play it all the same. It's all she's got. Now, the judge doesn't care about this woman. But no matter how much he works at not caring, she's wearing him down. Finally, she says, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. He's had enough. He vindicates the widow, finding in favor of her and against her adversary. Her sheer persistence carries the day. He justifies her and provides for her request because she doesn't give up. Because it's the only way that she will leave him alone. Now Jesus concludes this parable saying, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. In other words, God is the judge, but unlike the judge in the parable, he is righteous and he loves justice. He hates unrighteousness and injustice. He wants to be bothered with the prayers of his people. He desires to help. He wants to give justice to vindicate his people. He is intent on protecting and delivering them from all of their enemies and adversaries. So, if the widow can count on getting the help of the unrighteous judge who doesn't want to help her, how much more can you count on the help of the righteous God Who does? Now, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's how our text begins. The whole point of this parable is that you not lose heart. In other words, Jesus does not speak here to beat you down and to say, You are terrible at prayer, so you'd better start doing a better job if you want to be a Christian. Now, it might be very true that you are terrible at prayer. It's a difficult discipline, and it's always under attack. But Jesus doesn't speak to berate you. He speaks so that you do not lose heart, so that you might continue to call upon God and trust in his help, no matter the affliction that you are given to endure. There is good reason to pray. For one thing, there is the matter of justice. Remember the widow's cry, Give me justice against my adversary. Consider what God gives you to pray. Apart from Christ, a prayer like that is foolhardy. Lord, give me justice? Do you really want to demand justice from the judge when you're guilty as sin? If the Lord acts justly toward you apart from Christ, then his action will be to condemn you. But he doesn't act apart from Christ. So when you pray, give me justice, Lord, the Lord responds, I do. Because you are holy in my sight solely because of Jesus, I vindicate you. Your enemies are now my enemies, and I will deliver you. Prayer begins at the foot of the cross. God hears and answers your prayers because Christ has died for your sins. If your sins still cling to you, it seems unwise to keep pounding on God's door. But for Jesus' sake, He declares you justified, just, and righteous. And because you are his holy child, he delights to hear and answer your prayers. Prayer involves an element of persistence, too. You pray for deliverance from your adversaries and justice for your enemies. You pray for deliverance from sickness, from affliction, from injury. You pray for help against those who oppose you for following God's truth and clinging to his gospel. You pray for deliverance from an evil death and from all evil. In a world this corrupted that falsifies justice so badly, there's a lot to be delivered from. So you pray, but deliverance doesn't always come right away. It usually doesn't come near as fast as you'd like, but you do not lose heart because by faith you know of the Lord's faithfulness. Your afflictions and troubles make a lot about this life uncertain. But with the Lord you have all sorts of comforting certainty. You know that he has already justified you speedily for Jesus' sake. And having paid the price of his own blood to redeem you, you can be certain that he will not abandon you now. You know that faith trusts in what it does not see, often in spite of what it does see. You know that even though the devil will use trouble to persuade you that God isn't listening, you trust that God is working all things for your good, according to his wisdom and timing, not your own. Perhaps he delays vengeance so that your adversaries might also repent of their sin and be saved for Jesus' sake. Perhaps He waits to deliver you as a matter of discipline, to train you that His grace is sufficient for you, that His power is made perfect in weakness. Perhaps He waits to strengthen your faith and teach you the importance of prayer, preparing you for whatever lies ahead. You often do not know and cannot know the reason for trouble. The devil uses that uncertainty to try to make you doubt the Lord. He's very persuasive. It isn't easy or enjoyable to suffer and wait for the Lord to act. It's difficult enough that many will declare him to be the unrighteous judge and abandon him. How many will? Enough that the Lord says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That being the state of things, it can be easy to cease praying and easy to lose heart. But that's why Jesus tells this parable. Again, you don't measure God's faithfulness by what you don't know or can't know, but by what you do know for sure because he tells you. As we said before, he promises that you're his beloved child for Jesus' sake. And because you're his beloved child, he bids you to pray to him. He bids you to take his word and rub it in his ears. He delights to hear you say, Father, you promise, and you've got to keep your promises. Think of a young child who's been promised a trip to the donut shop. He hears that word. He clings to it. He keeps on reminding his parents about their promise until it's time to go. Now, honestly, his parents might well resemble the unrighteous judge of the parable saying, let's get the boy to the donut shop before he drives us crazy. But Jesus tells you in our text that your father in heaven is neither an unrighteous judge nor a reluctant parent. He delights to hear your prayers. He assures you that while you can't beat him down until he gives in, he will keep his promises. He will deliver you according to his will. As Luther said in regard to this parable, it is not enough just to begin and to sigh once, to recite a prayer and then to go away. As your need is, so should your prayer be. Your need does not attack you once and then lets you go. It hangs on. It falls around your neck again and it refuses to let go. You act the same way. Pray continually, and seek and knock, too, and do not let go. Since your need goes right on knocking, therefore you go right on knocking, too, and do not relent. After all, why should some affliction be more persistent than you? You are a holy child in the care of God the Father, while your affliction is a conquered nothing that can do you no lasting harm. It is so because God has justified you speedily already for Jesus' sake. Do not lose heart. The Lord does not leave you alone to battle your afflictions, but he bids you cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. True for Jesus and in Jesus, it's true for you.